I think it's fine to start off with one community manager, especially as you're building your community. But as you grow as a company and as your community grows, then yeah, at some point it would be nice if you have help. So we're also seeing sort of a rise of the community team, right? There's a lot of companies actually starting community teams, having a head or VP of community even, which I think is amazing to see. NPS I Love You is a weekly customer success podcast for people who know that CS is about more than just churn and upsells. It's about people. I'm your host, Ben Wynn, and my goal with this show is to give you powerful insights that'll improve your life and the lives of your customers. We are live, the first ever live podcast of NPS I Love You in partnership with Revenue Collective. Welcome, Remco. Thank you. I'm super honored to be at the first one. Making history. Absolutely making history. There you go. And I'm seeing people in the chat from all over the world, Edinburgh, Oregon, Charlotte. I'm here in New York. And Remco, you're in Amsterdam? I'm in Amsterdam. All right. So we don't have a ton of time and we have a lot of stuff that I'm excited to cover with you today, Remco. So first and most importantly, since you're in Amsterdam, I'm curious. I think my knowledge needs to be expanded beyond you know, cannabis being essentially the first thing I think of. So throw at me one or two of your favorite things that are not weed-related about Amsterdam. So I would say for a fun fact that, or like a did you know, so there we go. Did you know that we have just about as many bicycles in the canals we have in people's sheds that they actually ride on? Like submerged in the canals? Yeah, thrown in when we're drunk. When we're drunk, not <laughs> so they're perfectly good bikes. It's not like the old bike. No, no. no. Canal. no. It's just drunk and you fall in on your bike and you don't retrieve it. You don't retrieve the bike. You do climb out of the canal. <laughs> oh, I would hope so. Have you ever fallen in? I have fallen in the canal, but not with the bike. All right. Yeah, we have King's Day here, and that's like the birthday of our king, and everyone goes crazy, and I fall into a canal, sadly, on King's Day. Well, that wasn't uh, the main topic I want to get into, but now I'm really interested in doing a whole uh, Amsterdam podcast with you. Today, we're going to focus on community building, which is obviously something you and I are extremely passionate about. For those who don't know, I manage community at Catalyst, which is a uh, customer success platform. And your VP marketing at Insided. Do you want to say a couple words about Insided? Yeah, so we're a community platform vendor. Maybe just to keep it short, our special sauce is that we develop uh, for B2B SaaS companies only and specifically also for their customer success or just customer facing teams. I think that's quite a unique position. Definitely. Before we dive into sort of the, the meat of the conversation, community building, sort of similar to where customer success was a few years ago, is somewhat nebulous. Company A, it might mean managing social media. Company B, it might mean a customer forum. Company C, it might mean customer support or something else completely random. So for the purpose of today's conversation, can you define what does community building mean to you? Yeah, sure. I used to also define it as just the platform or a forum or something else. But I think for over the past, I think, three or four years or so, a broader definition has been has been required. So for now, we usually just simply say that it's engaging and connecting people with a shared purpose or interest, which is super broad, but that's also kind of nice because then you cover everything that you would normally cover in a more platform-centric definition, but you would also just cover connecting customers to each other, connecting customers to your brand, your CEO reaching out to someone else. It's broad enough to basically cover the full span of what is community today, I think. I love that. And I love the focus on shared experience. Yeah. That's what's at the core of community. And if you start with that as the premise, 
you can take it in a million directions, whether that's a customer forum, whether that's social media, whether that's making Definitely. memes or you know other random stuff. It all comes back to creating that shared, starting with a shared experience, and then sort of going from there to suit your your business purposes. Yeah, definitely. I think also in, in these times, that's actually now happening, right? Because when I started at Insider, I think three years ago or so, community was was definitely just the platform that usually the support team would buy. And now community is this more holistic thing, which is all channels, your customers are basically on or engaging on or engaging with your brand on or those kinds of things. So I already feel, especially in B2B SaaS, that the whole definition has changed already. It's become much of a broader subject. I think the point you make is a great one about how it used to be customer support who was buying community software. So now, since this is all what you do day in, day out, you know, what is, who is the buyer that you're marketing to now? How's that changed? Yeah, a lot. So we still see support. Support is, I think, an easy case, especially also if you're related to self-service and just self-sufficiency of your customers and your users. But I think now our main buyer is actually the VP of customer success. They usually come in uh, looking to either scale self-service and self-sufficiency or just focus on increasing adoption uh, or just to have one single location for all of their customer success content and basically one single location for their customers to actually go to if they want to get something done within the product or whatever ammo they at that point have. We also sometimes see product now, product actually owned in the community when the emphasis lies a little bit more on effectively gathering product feedback and having a proper process towards doing uh, ideation with customers, for example, or building a, a voice of the customer program, which you probably have heard about a lot lately, or advisory boards, for example. And then finally, a thing of, I think this year, we see marketing a lot owning community, often from an advocacy perspective, obviously, but also sometimes because the lines between marketing and customer success, for example, have gotten a little bit blurry with mm -hmm. the whole emergence of digital customer success and just digital strategies that are aimed and have a customer success sort of character, but are using tools and sort of ways of thinking flows that marketing has been using for a while. So we now often also see marketing come in. Definitely. I think we're going to see more of that, especially as it, I mean, the thrust of our conversation today is creative community strategies to drive revenue. So I think the more that community gets closer, closer tied to revenue, the more you'll see marketing leaders, revenue leaders coming in and saying, not just how can we use this to scale support, but how can we use this to generate new revenue? Yeah. So yeah. you're obviously plugged into a lot of different communities. You mentioned a whole bunch of use cases there for CS, for sales. What are one or two really specific, powerful ways you've seen community building leveraged to drive net new sales? What is the yeah. role of a sales team? The role of a sales team, yeah. So it's, I think community is an interesting, uh, an interesting thing because it can basically drive, it can drive growth or result or however you want to call it across the entire funnel. So even starting pre-sales already, for example. So also we have a lot of stuff on our community, uh, whether it's Q&A, videos, educational stuff that actually helps people out with those initial questions that they would normally ask a sales team. Just mm -hmm. very basic stuff around, I don't yeah, some features that everyone would want to have or certain use cases that they might think community is good for or not, or when do you get started with the community, those kinds of things. We also try and leverage our own community to actually answer those questions before people have to ask them to the sales team. I think that's one. Before we go to the second, can I ask yeah. you a little bit about that? Because I can absolutely see the advantage to the sales team of being able to say like, hey, don't ask me, go check out this forum or see what other people have asked and go there. 
But do you ever run into an issue then where you're concerned about, okay, we're giving this them another place to go, or is that the optimal? Exp- like, or do buyers prefer that? Do they like it less? Like, have you gotten any feedback on there either yeah. way? Yeah, so I don't think buyers would prefer it if our sales team would actually deflect them to the community. So we don't often do that, but we, we actually often see it the other way around. So when people start engaging with us or even when they have already started engaging with us, but for example, haven't had the call with sales yet, they'll actually register on our community, which is open to anyone. And they'll just ask some questions in there. How's, how's inside it doing? What do you think of their support? What do you think of feature A, B, and C? I don't know, uh, uptime, whatever question you can basically uh, figure out. They'll ask those in between and then they'll get answered by often, luckily, our community, sometimes community manager. And then, uh, and then that's no longer a topic in the sales cycle. Excellent. The other way around, I wouldn't do that. I mean, I think in these days we have super technical, really prepared buyers. Uh, so you often already see that in the first, uh, in the first sales cycle when they're super experienced or the first call even. They're super experienced. They've done a lot of research. They just want to see the product, see if it sort of ticks their boxes and matches their expectations and then either decide to go with you or not. I think this is also a thing there that you don't need to deflect them to another channel then or make them sit through another call. I think that would only annoy them. Definitely. I agree. And sorry, I interrupted you. The second point you were going to make around sales teams leveraging community. I think that's the first. And the second is just the sheer amount of, yeah, I'm going to call it data, but it doesn't do it justice. It's just there's so many stories, questions and answers, best practices, cool cases from already existing customers, which isn't good English, by the way, because customers obviously exist. (laughs) And all, yeah, there's so much knowledge in there that as a sales team, that's the stuff that you should leverage. You should basically go in there, keep track of all of the conversations, make sure that that also impacts your story that you're telling to prospects and and think that can only make you better as a salesperson. Absolutely. And don't worry, if we were doing this in Dutch, is Dutch in Amsterdam? I feel like uh, it'd be a way worse conversation, at least from my end. So (laughs) (laughs) I think excellent points. Yeah, data does feel like underselling it, but there are so many amazing, valuable things you can pull out of the community. And then when it comes to the customer success side of things, I want to, one of the, one of the things about community that's so great is that you alluded to this before. People can help each other solve problems. They can ask questions and get answered. And then your team is saving on resources because you're not having to spend all this time sort of answering questions and digging in yourselves. So, I mean, there's a, it's a great point there, but the flip side of that is, you're then sort of opening yourself up for, hey, someone could write into our Insighted forum, Insighted sucks, we've had a terrible experience, everyone don't buy Insighted. Yeah. Hopefully they're not saying that, I'm sure they're not, I didn't see that when I was uh, evaluating it, but how do you think about sort of opening up your, sort of exposing the space where people can interact, hopefully for the positive, but there's the potential for a negative as well? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting discussion, open versus closed uh, communities. Basically, I have a personal preference. I have to start with that because we have customers with really successful open communities and customers with really successful closed communities. So I'm not going to argue that there literally is one way better than the other. But my personal preference would be to always open it up. I think it's a good way to just build trust and transparency with customers, but also potential buyers, etc. But I also think that the sort of repercussions of someone coming onto your community and saying, hey, inside it sucks, and they've done a terrible job and this and that. I mean, yeah, it looks like damage to your brand, but it usually never is. And it also gives you the opportunity to show how you actually handle these things uh, Mm -hmm. and how you pick this up from that point, which I think is also valuable information for everyone else watching. 
So I would welcome those conversations because it gives you the chance to actually prove yourself and make sure that, yeah, whether that's a justified sort of negative reaction or not, it gives you the chance to make sure that it doesn't happen again. And that helps you improve as a company as well. Definitely. I agree. That being said, I think we're starting with a closed community on our end, but we definitely <laughs> will be opening it up later on. We're That's doing why it I was so careful. <laughs> hey, I mean, I, I'm an open book. I'm happy to debate that as well on the uh, uh, for the event. But yeah, I mean, my approach, and it might be interesting for, if we do talk about that a little, and we can address Scott's question that he that he dropped in the chat. My approach to it was, you know, this will be a unique space as a value add for our customers, right? Because currently there's you know, no great place that's closed that's just for Catalyst customers to interact and talk about Catalyst and learn from each other and share screenshots and, you know, share ideas that are specific to that. And it's sort of, yeah, like I said, a, a value add for them. And then yeah. once we sort of nail that part, I want to open it up and figure out what we're piecing out, what's going to be open to everyone, what's going to require a login and behind sort of a wall. Yeah. Am I doing it wrong? No, not at all. I think that's also... I think, I don't know if you have a question around getting started, but to be honest, if I were to give advice about how to start with a community, then that's the way I'd go. I think don't start just opening it up, throwing all of your customers on there and expect amazing things to happen, right? It's, it's a little bit more difficult than that. So start small, invite a few customers that you know are really great with your product or already advocates or have really cool things to say or even are very critical and can help you make sure that you do it right and start with them. And then when you feel comfortable with them and have received a lot of feedback, implemented a lot of feedback, stuff like that, you open it up to a little bit of a wider circle. And then after that, you, you basically make adjustments, do some more stuff, and maybe you add some more people or you start with a sort of selective lunch up to the point where you feel really comfortable that you can open the floodgates, basically. I would definitely advise to start, to start slow. It's not a big bang growth thing. It's an organic growth thing, uh, yeah, which you should embrace. The only communities I've seen do really well in sort of that big bang model is where there's a huge and obvious gap or vacuum in a space where, you know, there has yeah. never before been a community for, I don't know, equestrian people in tech. Like, I don't know, like some, some like Great. really specific niche where people are hungry for it and just no one has fed it up yet. Yeah, I think that's one of the areas where it can work, but I think that's really rare to find because yeah. in the day we're in now, things have just sort of, a lot, most things have been done. So other, if you're not going that big banger where you're solving this massive gap, where you're filling this massive gap, the other route is, you know, slow building, curve out your specific niche, yeah. figure out who your most engaged people are, and then sort of take it one step at a time. Yeah, definitely. I think, for example, at the start of COVID, you saw Gain, Grow, Retain, the customer success community, and they they just perfectly uh, and maybe even by luck or not i don't know but they entered a niche of just customer success professionals that felt like we need to share more with each other especially in these trying times and that just blew up or like the SaaS hacker community back in the day that just blew up so there yeah there are definitely examples of how you actually just put a foot in a niche can be really quick yeah i was talking with some catalyst customers recently about this who are thinking of launching their own communities and some of them, I think they're ripe for that because they're disrupting these more antiquated industries where, you know, if you're in fintech and you're targeting, you know, a certain thing that hasn't been done before, there's probably a good chance that you'd Definitely. be the first mover if you're creating a community in that and you have a chance yeah. to make a huge impact. I know a lawyer who started a labor law podcast like three years ago and it just exploded because who was doing interesting? He's also loud and Italian and fun. So that's <laughs> 
but who's doing labor law podcasts that are fun. So recognize if you're in that, in a niche and you have that opportunity, cause it can be massive, but then also recognize if you're not, because a lot of people see that growth and they're like, Oh, I want to do that. Or my CEO wants us to do that. But if you're in a customer success or something like that, Catalyst can't just open up a Slack team and expect, you know, 10,000 people to join. No. Them. There's already eight other customer success groups. Yeah. What are your thoughts on uh, read only uh, versus, you know, anyone being able to post? I want to get to Scott's question in the chat. Uh, yeah, I've never actually had experience with read only, to be honest. So I don't know. I've usually used, I think the most of our customers actually have just open to register for everyone. So you can basically just create an account. I think it's also nice, right? Because creating an account also sort of instills, yeah, also the trust within the community that someone at least had to give out some information to be able to take part in the community. And a lot of people would also take that seriously. So especially for B2B communities, they would enter where they work and their full name, et cetera. So you already know who you're talking to. So yeah, I would put a registration there, but open to anyone. Awesome. So I doubt anyone currently listening is not bought into the concept of community building as a revenue strategy. If you are, please write into the chat because we'd love to argue with you. Uh, so if someone is not bought in, or maybe their boss or their CEO isn't bought in, what are one or two specific points or arguments that you as someone who professionally markets this stuff day in, day out, you've seen work extremely well to get people on board with investing in community? Yeah, so we have three or uh, three cases that we always make. We always make the same three because they're super close to at least the metrics that matter for our buyers and also the type of company that we focus on. I think that's, by the way, a general thing is that you do need to make sure that you're close to revenue or some other result that really matters for the business that you're trying to sell to. So uh, for us uh, within VP uh, or within a VP of customer success, it usually is retention or adoption or yeah. Those are a little bit less about product feedback, those kinds of things, but they are not really measurable or in a different way. So we say three things. We either focus on a case around self-service. So beyond there already being a clear need there from a customer standpoint, since I think Forrester started researching self-service 15 years ago or so and discovered that people don't actually want to call your business for every single thing. So I think it's a it's something you should already consider, but also from a community perspective, especially in SaaS, yeah, this is where you see the cases of a SaaS business growing so quickly that it actually outpaces your capacity to hire people to yeah, just make sure that you can keep up with the work and a more scalable solution is basically uh, needed. Uh, or, yeah, as I always like to tell it, at some point, a CFO will wake up and come into your office as a VP customer success and tell you that you need to stop hiring right now and find a different way. At some point, there's no more sort of scaling through actually hiring people, it will become too costly and you need to find a way to actually be able to increase the number of accounts that are being managed by your customer success team without actually increasing the number of CSMs in which a community, especially on the self-service use case, is, uh, is an obvious choice. Then the second one is engagement, which is best practice sharing, feature adoption, sort of related one-to-many communication, doing events with your community, groups, segmenting people into sort of like-minded uh, groups where they are within companies that are focused on the same vertical, same size, same stage, same maturity phase for a customer success team. Yeah, staying in touch with your customers on a, yeah, sort of a, staying in touch with the customers that your CS team can't reach because you'll always have this group of customers that are 
yeah, too small for you to invest a lot of time, but also don't really want to talk to your customer success team. They're fine. They're doing well with your product, but they're not responding to anything. A community is actually also an option to respond to them. And then the third case is, uh, is product feedback or just feedback in general, whether it's feedback on your team and your business or, um, yeah, feedback on your product, feature suggestions. I think in this day and age, yeah, your customers and also your prospects expect you to also build what your customers want, let's say, and no longer are only be focused on like a mission statement or a visionary roadmap that you've had for five years. And I think community is an awesome way to do that and actually create a proper sort of customer feedback loop and make sure that the product team is involved and some other teams are involved to also actually help you put the voice of the customer on the roadmap and then circle back to them so that they know that you actually listened and that you delivered that. Because the beautiful thing of that is that if you work on your product together with your community or your customers and you actually build what they want, obviously provided that it fits your company, all those kinds of things, but you build what they want and you release it to them and you tell them, look, we listened and we're so happy with you guys. Please try it out here. And you'll see it do wonders for adoption of those features. It's truly a growth strategy. Today's show is brought to you by Catalyst Software, the fastest growing customer success platform on the market. Catalyst gives you unmatched customizability, a seamless bi-directional Salesforce integration that takes less than five minutes to set up, and a world-class customer success team that'll be by your side every step of the way. Let's be honest, whatever you're currently using might be good enough, but is good enough really what you're aiming for? Take your CS team to the next level by switching to Catalyst today. To learn more, visit Catalyst.io. And if you aren't looking for a CS platform right now, you should subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn anyways. I make daily memes, we host all sorts of events, and we love to give away our swag, which has been called the comfiest swag in the industry. Again, check out Catalyst.io to learn more. I think we could go a lot into the uh, how much control could, should customers have or not have over the product roadmap, but you know that's all that's the age old debate. But whether or not your product team wants to hear it or doesn't want to, having the data is really valuable. I was speaking with Shai Ritblat, who you probably know from from SciSense, yeah. and he, I believe it was him. So apologies to whoever it was if it wasn't Shai, but he was saying they changed the verbiage, the the wording product feature requests to product ideas. And yeah. even switching that changed the meaning. And so that way, when customers would put stuff into their ideas section, it's no longer a request that can either be accepted or rejected. It's just an idea that they're putting out there. And then maybe you'll bounce around the ideas. Maybe it'll change. Maybe it'll evolve over time or get factored in. But it sort of helps to change the mindset of the person who's putting in the idea. And I loved that. I love those little changes that can have a big impact, but require no work. Yeah, definitely. So let's say, you know, you've brought up all these points to your boss, your CEO, they're bought in, you've got budget, you've got autonomy, you can do whatever you want on the community side. Now you may be, you might be a little biased on this question considering inside it, but (laughs) start with a forum from the, off the bat, do you just go straight into a forum or do you start with a newsletter? Do you start with events? Do you start with social media? Do you start with a mentorship program? Check out the Catalyst Coaching Corner if you're looking for a CS mentor. <laughs> Where do you start? Yeah, so let me just preface this with there's actually there's nothing wrong with starting these things early, whether it's a forum or something else. I think starting early actually, especially in customer success, but also probably in other parts of SaaS business is super smart because I think that you should always prepare for the next phase, so like the next phase of growth ahead or something else. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be working too much on, okay, how do I 
manage everything now because then you'll not be ready when that happens. And especially also for community, yes, you can start with a forum, obviously. We do think that there's a minimal threshold of actual end users that would be active on the platform before it makes sense. So we usually say 300 end users. Okay. That's based on our experiences, what we've learned over time, signing up really small customers, really big customers. So 300 is the number that we use. I can imagine that is different also for other companies. It's very possible. But yeah, I think the core message there is it, there, there needs to be a minimum sort of threshold of people actually being willing to engage and able to engage on the community or else it's just going to be you sending and nobody receiving, which also to your leadership, for example, would look terrible. So then you shouldn't do it yet. But after that, yeah, I would take a look at what customers want and what they uh, and, and what's happening internally. So a, a newsletter, for example, never a bad idea. But then after that, yeah, is CS, for example, swamped answering repeat questions or Q&As? Then at that point, maybe a forum or a community at some point could be a really good idea because that's a way to actually combat that. But do you have a few prominent customers or thought leaders in the community uh, or that you already talked to? If you have an MVP program, for example, then you could start that or set that up and look to scale that further. Or if, if the problem is with onboarding, for example, uh, or education, and you need monthly, bi-weekly sessions, those kinds of things, then, then I would start there. It basically depends on, yeah, I think there are a lot of sort of points you can, you can twist and turn, and some of them will break at some point, and then you need to find a solution. I think community is, an, is a nice way of actually being, being set up to handle those things well in the end. But yeah, it doesn't have to be the first thing that you do. Yeah, I mean, once you have an engaged community, you can take it a bunch of different ways, right? So depending on the problem that arises or the challenge that you're, the stage your company's at, or whether it's CS focused for a while, and then it's marketing focused because CS is doing well, like it can be taken all those ways, but that initial engagement is so critical. Yeah. So one final thing, I do feel that if you're starting with community and whether you then select a forum or do something else, you do need to give your customers or audience a single location for them to basically meet or connect or to come together, let's say. And whether that's a forum or a Slack channel or something else, uh, yeah, especially when you're starting out, doesn't really matter. But they do need the single location because if you keep everything scattered through multiple channels, et cetera, then it's going to be really hard to actually build the community and make sure that they come together and start engaging more and beautiful things happen. Definitely. Couldn't agree with that more. It's, uh, I mean, it goes back to that concept right at the start, right? Shared experience hard to share an experience if you're not in the same virtual or physical location or even uncovering what those shared experiences are. As a marketer, that's been really helpful for me to facilitate community meetings and then hear what people in the community are saying. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. But I can make a meme based on that. I can host an event based on that. And it gives me a whole bunch of ideas that are now really relevant. So instead of you know listening, not that I don't like listening to our product team, but instead of them saying, hey, we're launching this feature, go talk. Can you talk about this stuff? Instead, I can, you know, hear from the community what they actually want to hear about, and then I can talk to them about that. Um, we have a yeah. couple of good questions that are coming in the chat. So the first one, because this is always a fun one, using Slack for community. I have strong opinions. I'm sure you have strong opinions. <laughs> um, <laughs> so maybe I'll start for this one, and then you can, sure. you've thought about it more deeply than I have, so you can fill in gaps. But having started, so before I was a Catalyst, I launched CS and Focus, which was and still is Canada's largest customer success community. And having put zero thought into it, I just opened a Slack team for it. Uh, this was in 2019 or 2018. And it was pretty painful. It like, because I expected in my naivete that I would 
open this Slack community. And, you know, because my live events were so well and, uh, you know, attended and engaged with and everyone had so much fun. I was like, okay, let's keep the party going. Here's a Slack team. Everyone invite each other, have fun, interact. And it was crickets. Like it was just silence for 90% of the time. And I was like, huh, well, this doesn't feel good. (laughs) Um, So where I sort of got to was, okay, it's free. If they get value, great. If not, no skin off my nose. But if it were for a company, I'd probably feel very different. So I think with Slack, it's difficult because it's sort of an open, it's very open. There's very little structure to it. Difficulty searching, archiving, just finding helpful information. So those are some of the things. That being said, I think there are some very specific use cases where it's perfect. Like we have all our cab members in a cab only you know, our customer advisory board members in a customer advisory board specific Slack channel. It's locked to only them. It's perfect because it's intimate, it's niche, and that works really well instead of saying, hey, go log into this forum and chat with each other, which is higher on the effort score, I would say. So those are just some of my initial thoughts I've put in, but I'm curious what what I've missed and if you'd have yeah. anything to add on. No, so I think a lot of what you say is uh, is definitely true. So I think I, I actually like Slack. I'm in a lot of Slack communities. So uh, I also think in some cases it works really, really well. I also think that when you're starting out, so really, really small, let's say you're a business, you just signed up your first 10 customers or something, I wouldn't build a forum for that yet. I would just put them all in a Slack channel, make sure that you're super connected and can learn from them and can, uh, I don't know, use them to help develop your product a little bit further or your go-to-market or something else. Uh, So then I would definitely start with Slack. But the issue with Slack is that as soon as you grow and your community grows, like you said, Slack becomes a little bit harder to manage. There's no way to properly categorize things or make sure that information is retrievable, especially also all of the free versions. I think maybe even the first paid version of Slack will also delete messages after hitting a certain threshold of like 10K or whatever, how many, uh, how many messages. So it's also very hard to find that. And it's also super, yeah, it's very engaging in terms of like the social experience. So it's chat, right? So you post a message, someone could reply instantly, all that kind of stuff. But if that doesn't happen, so if you ask a question, someone else asks a question and five more people ask a question, it becomes really hard to see unless people are super dedicated and reply in threads all the time and actually take the time to scroll up and down. It becomes really hard to actually then provide the value that you're looking to provide to your customers or prospects or something else because it's, yeah, it's just way harder to actually make sure that they can get their problems solved. So I think that's the that's my main gripe with something like Slack. That being said, we also have customers that have integrated both the community platform and Slack, yeah. where, for example, if you post some, a, a question and preface it in a certain way on Slack, it will be automatically pushed to the community and vice versa. So the people that prefer Slack actually talk on Slack, and but can do the same thing and the community can do the same thing. Obviously, they still have the same negative effects on Slack and also vice versa. But yeah, I think, I think those those are the biggest challenges. Yeah, I think they're fantastic points. And I think your last point is probably the most important is that everyone, I mean, I, I think I can pretty confidently say that everybody loves Slack. It's an incredible tool and it's got a million different use cases. I think it's about how do the two systems work together, which is where you were, what you were saying towards the end, where there's an integration and, you know, instead of maybe me having to go into Insided every day to moderate, I can set up a Slack channel so that when there's a new post, I get an instant ping. I know that so-and-so from so-and-so company posted this and the thing. And if I'm like, oh, they're using profanity and they posted a weird picture of Shrek, I'm going to go delete that versus, you know, having to proactively go log in every day. I think 
you know, Slack is that sort of hub for where your work plugs into is amazing. I think one final thing that I think is often, well, in B2C, no, but in B2B, yes, often overlooked in terms of having an actual community platform. A lot of the information that is shared is really, really valuable. It's usually super tactical, best practices, really down to the wire questions of things that people are actually looking for. And making sure that you have an online platform will uh, that actually shows those questions and those questions are also then findable through Google and all that kind of stuff. It really, really helps in terms of like the right traffic, SEO, those kinds of things. Can be massive. Definitely. Excellent. Very true. So related to Kelsey's great question that she dropped in around engagement to expect or to hope for from the minimum threshold of 300, I'm curious for your thoughts on this because my view with community stuff in general is that I don't really care if there are five posts a day or 50 posts a day. What I care about is sort of that bottom line of we bought this to do X use case. Is it doing that? Is it reducing churn? Is it you know increasing the, the customer experience and sort of always returning to sort of that core metric or the core reason that we bought it? Do you consider engagement in a community a vanity metric or a core metric? What's your sort of view on looking at number of posts or quality poster, type of poster, that sort of thing? Yeah, so I, I don't think it's a metric that you set a target on. We do sometimes have engagement scores, mm-hmm. uh, but that will more, that, those are usually more or less account-based, not necessarily like we want this person to have five posts a day because I don't think that's achievable or manageable. And also, especially in B2B, it doesn't really fit the customer journey in a sense that if they're successful with your product, they're not going to ask five questions a day, right? So it doesn't really matter. That's all they have a million ideas. That Well, that could be, that, and that would be awesome. So I, do, I, I think that it's, it's more of a, yeah, and you need to tie them into other metrics if you're talking about engagement. So if you have a customer that's super unsuccessful and you're trying to push them to use a different feature because you know that will, make, that will help them or make their case, you're trying to reach them in general, I think that's where engagement comes in. That's when you want to know, okay, but have they been interacting with all of the information that we've been sending them? Have they read this product update because it directly applies to them? Have they, I don't know, whatever else uh, example I could, uh, I could give here. And I think that's when engagement is really important. And I think in general, also, it's nice when you have a community that at least the account is engaged and whether or not that's your buyer or someone else, but at least it's nice that the account is engaged in the community because that also strengthens the community, right? If you have you're a certain customer, yeah, it's, it's nice to have them all active in a way or form on the community. So I don't really think that for engagement, there is a minimum threshold. Well, I would say the, the minimum is zero. If community is such, a, such an important part of your customer success strategy or just support strategy for a company or something, then zero would be worrisome because, yeah, it's one of your most important channels. So it should provide value to at least most of your customers. And then I would look for more for, for higher than zero engagement, basically. But yeah, I don't, I don't think there's like a minimum like post threshold or something. And I also see the question from Kelsey beneath that with the 300. So the 300 end users I just mentioned specifically want to emphasize end users because obviously usually for your software, your buyer will have seats. And those seats will be admin seats or something or whatever. They are not necessarily the people that are going to be active on your community. It's going to be the people that actually use the platform. So, for example, if you're an accounting software, it's going to be the accountant that actually use it. And then I would want the accountant to be active on the community, basically. That's the end user. So I would say that you have to have enough customers to eventually reach a threshold of 300 end users that you know you can quite comfortably hit with the number of customers or something that you have. 
which would then give you a nice solid base to actually get started. Awesome. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. So Scott asks, uh, do you look at metrics at the domain or company level? If so, what kind of engagement metrics do you look at it when it comes to the company versus the end user? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I think this is a super interesting one as well, because this is also usually where integrations come in. So I think to also make sure that engagement doesn't only make sense on the community platform, I think it's important to make sure that it's integrated with a lot of the systems that you use. So for example, your CRM or your CS CRM like Catalyst or something else. That's where we see a lot of customers actually feed engagement data into, for example, health scores, mm -hmm. uh, feed ideation data into, well, not necessarily health scores, but at least into the customer accounts, et cetera. Connect to Salesforce, for example. Something like that, right? Yeah, exactly. And feed into that sort of like you have an overview of the account, right? You know who your buyer is and who your users are and whether or not you have a full scope on that and how well your relationship or how good your relationship is, for example. Yeah, that's where I would try and make sure that while being integrated, that's also reflected into what you see happen on the community and what's going on there. I love that. And something I'm extremely excited for because despite my horrible math ability, I love data. And I would believe that, you know, once we have this really engaged community where we can track all these data points, we'll be able to see are the customers who have who are more engaged as a unit, like they have a higher average number of engaged users, or maybe it's just a few key people that are really engaged with the community. Can we actually create a definitive percent increase in their likelihood to renew or expand their contract with us? If we can prove that and show that data, then... I mean, getting more investment for community is a no-brainer. It's a good uh, segue into one of the questions I had around workload because community managers, sort of going right back to the very first point, are generally doing 50 different things as their roles are nebulous and they sort of fill in gaps. When it comes to moderating a community, we talked about, you know, you can integrate it with Slack and you can have information pull into there. How much time and energy does it generally take? Like, for can it be one community manager or do they need a team to, to launch a community, let's say you're starting with 300 end users, what does that workload look like? Yeah, so I think usually we see companies start off with one community manager. I mean, community managers are heroes, to be honest, because it is the most multifaceted role that I've ever seen. You need to basically just have a stake in everything. So uh, hats off to community managers. I think they're amazing. I couldn't be a community manager. I think I would Why be stressed. Why right now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, I think uh, I really would be stressed. But yeah, I think, I think so. I think it's fine to start off with one community manager, especially as you're building your community. But as you grow as a company and as your community grows, and especially if you're doing a good job, then yeah, at some point it would be nice if you have help. And that help can either be another community manager. So we're, we're also seeing a sort of a rise of the community team, right? There's a lot of companies actually starting community teams, having a head or VP of community even, which I think is amazing to see. We didn't see that at all years ago. But that can also be through uh, making sure that community is positioned well in the organization. So if your community has a central location within your organization, meaning that your customer success team thinks that community is important, obviously your community team thinks that community is important, but also your leadership team, your product team, they're often on there, they're trying to engage and have their, I don't know, customer advisory board on there, etc. Then that also helps a lot because community, I think, is also an initiative that can be carried by the entire company. There's no downside to actually making sure that someone in marketing answers a question about marketing or something that they know. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, often is not happening enough. 
yeah. which would be or, a massive help to community managers who now need to chase all these people, which would then basically not, yeah, you wouldn't have to do that anymore, which would save you millions, millions of hours. Definitely. I think about it very similarly to where customer success was five, six years ago. I was attending all the meetups and events and it was, how do we get customer success a seat at the table? How do we get CS tied to revenue? How do we get a chief customer officer? And just building that the case for that buy-in was such a, a struggle at the time. Now it's pretty, I mean, at least within startup, you know, B2B SaaS circles, I mean, you're, you'd be hard pressed to find a company without a CCO or at least a VP of CS. Yeah. And that's where I feel like community is at, is where CS was a few years ago, where we're the catch-all, we're doing everything, but there's starting to be this more formal structure, more budget, more buy-in across teams. And the same way Catalyst is working on getting CS as not just a, a CS function, but getting the customer at the center of the company, uh, giving everyone access to the data, regardless of their yep. engineering, marketing, et cetera, you know, making it a team effort. The same thing, I think, will happen for, for community. Yeah, agreed. We have a couple more questions I'd love to get to as we enter our last few minutes. One, because I love talking about them, is mistakes. So we had a question around how many mistakes are okay until we reach a close to perfect community. I mean, I think we can probably safely say there's there's never a perfect community and you're always going to make mistakes. Yeah. Uh, talked about some of mine earlier. Not sure if you have any specific mistakes you'd call out that are really common or that you'd do you think you could warn people about and maybe save them some... some? Yeah, so one I already mentioned, it's the Big Bang launch. Mm-hmm. Don't do a Big Bang launch with high expectations, etc. You can have high expectations, it's fine, but plan for organic growth. Make sure that the right customers are in first and start adding on more customers as you grow, basically. I think that's the number one mistakes that a lot of companies made, uh, make. And the second thing is assuming that community will run itself. Because yeah. it won't. And I think this, I think this is a super interesting one because often this actually is the perception that if you have a platform, your customers will just come and that just, yeah, that doesn't exist. It will require energy and effort and you need to create content, keep things fresh. You need to make sure that there are event, events. Mm-hmm. You also need to be prominently sort of available as a community team or at least someone from your company. And I think, yeah, this, I don't know why this is always the thing, but yeah, it usually is. And I think also if you normally would engage with customers, you also would need to work to get the most from the conversation. I think community is no different. Yep. Uh, the only thing being that when you do it well, you'll actually start seeing that your job gets easier because the community will increase increasingly pitch in and help you scale the process. Yes, hopefully the, the ratio of input to output you know, decreases over time, increases, decreases, gets better over time. (laughs) Uh, So you, as the community manager, can put in less and less work and, you know, yet more and more of those kind of power users, maybe you're rewarding them, you know, they're on the leaderboard at certain points, they get swag or gift cards and that sort of thing. But, you know, you build this culture of engagement and then sort of people come and join the community. They see how the party's already going and they just jump right in versus you having to be like, hey guys, how's your day going? What's the number one challenge you're working on today? every single day or something like that. Yeah, I love Soya's question around, oh, and then we'll get to Natasha, but where does community sit within your org? Yeah, so uh, we have, I think, three community managers now and they sit within customer success. All of them, interesting. Yeah. So we have two on the community team, myself and uh, my colleague Danny, and we sit under marketing, which is interesting. And I was just talking about this with someone the other day, just about how it sort of aligns to the outcomes that I guess you're looking for from your community efforts. And then we were talking about at some point, 
when your community gets rich enough, you've got a customer community, you've got an external community, you're using community for customer success, customer advocacy, marketing, product, you're using it for all these different use cases. So if you're using it for customer success and using it to engage customers, but you're like us under marketing, your VP of CS is going to want in on that and have some control over it. But the flip side is true too, where if you're doing it for customer success and eventually start generating case studies and referrals and testimonials, your CMO is going to want in on that as well. So I'm really interested to see kind of where the industry goes to and what that org structure looks like, how it's split out. Because right now it's sort of one or the other. Yeah, so I think there's there's two things. So the first is use case and the second is tech. So I think community, and as we covered in the beginning, has already been sort of growing in terms of the amount of use cases that actually fit within a community and that you can also, for example, handle with the community platform. And I think that's going to continue. It's sort of gradually by itself taking a taking center stage within a company, I think. So that's the first. And the second is tech, because yeah, we use I used to be able to say or at least say who like there are five competitors or something, and that's it. Those are the companies that are in the community space. But tech and community space is is like going crazy. And there's also yeah, there's so many new cool use cases. So I I'm caught up with Comsor the other day. And they are basically sort of creating the sort of community management management platform where all of your channels and all of your streams, data streams with customer information or customer location or something, they all just tie up in one platform, meaning that inside it, for example, it's just one of those data points that you have there and you get a holistic overview of uh, per customer or for your community entirely of what they're doing, who they're engaging with, what they're interacting with. I think that's super interesting. And I think yeah. that's just going to spark a lot more uh, technology and a lot more innovation off the back of that. I loved to see all of the new companies and new innovations coming out in community now. It just signals the, the growth of the space. The space is cool right now. Yeah, It is. And for anyone listening that's looking for community resources, definitely check out the Community Club. It's uh, created by, by Comsor and uh, Mac Redden, who's their CEO. It's a fantastic community of community builders, as is CMX. That's the, the other one I always... Yeah. Refer to two, two great communities to learn from other community people. It's very meta. It um, is. <laughs> excellent. Well, Remco, I mean, we're at just about time, but I really appreciate you joining me today. Uh, everyone watching, I hope this was really helpful for you. If you're interested in learning more, thank you, Danny, for dropping the links in the chat. Please reach out to, I'm volunteering, but Remco uh, or myself, we'll, we'll both <laughs> drop our emails into the chat so you can get a hold of us and chat more. We both are complete community nerds and would love to speak with you. If you enjoyed today's show, please rate us five stars and leave a review. It's great for my self-esteem. Thanks for joining us. And if you'd like to learn more about Catalyst, visit catalyst.io. P.S. I love you. <laughs>